Well, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to the end. And let's pray and ask God for his help tonight. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. But most of all, what we are not, you would make us. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, in our house growing up, um, a piece of paper would be attached to the inside of a cupboard door in the kitchen a few days before Christmas. Um, As presents were received from friends and relatives, their names would be written up on that piece of paper. Um, It was all preparation for the thank you cards that my brothers and I would have to write in uh, those kind of sleepy days between uh, Boxing Day and New Year. I'm sure some of you have done that. Um, I would love to be able to say that this was a a task that we embraced with glee, but that would be very generous. Um, More often than not, we were more interested in the film that we were watching, or all the chocolate that we were eating, or those very presents that we had been given that we were playing with, uh, to stop and to say thank you. Um, But each card was um, important, and my mother was very concerned that she was going to appear like a control freak if I used that illustration uh, tonight. Um, But in our passage, Paul is giving thanks. Paul is um, sending greetings. And if you're anything like me, it's it's really easy as we come to verses like this to to think that they're not really that important. Verses 10 to 23. Um, They're not quite up there with the the rich theology of chapters 2 or or chapter 3. But I hope we'll see that even in these um, apparently ordinary matters, God's grace shines surprisingly brightly. And just two points tonight, and the first is the longest by a long way, so don't uh, fear. In verses 10 to 20, we see Paul's gratitude. Paul's gratitude. And three words will, will help us get into this section. And the first is testimony. Testimony. In verses 10 to 13, as as Paul gives thanks, he shares something of his story with the Philippians. And he begins by doing the very thing that he had called them to do back in verse 4, which we looked at last week. He begins by rejoicing in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul is grateful that the Philippians have revived their concern for him. The NIV uses the phrase, at last here. But I think that's a little misleading. It implies uh, exasperation. And if you look at the text, Paul clearly understood that his friends had not been in a position 
to help them until now. And the meaning of the word revived is helpful here as well. It can be translated bloom. So after a delay, after winter, it's a bit like spring has finally come. The Philippians have have been able at last to, to show Paul the concern that they had for him all along. And as he shares his, his testimony with them, it's clear in verse 11 that he has found what one old author called the rare jewel of Christian contentment. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. He has learned to be content in any situation. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound in any and every circumstance. Paul says he has learned the secret. Now, Paul's example here is immensely challenging, of course, isn't it? This is not how uh, people like us tend to live. When it comes to material wealth, how many of us would honestly differ from J.D. Rockefeller when he was apparently asked, how much money is enough money? And gave the answer a little bit more. Paul had learned to be content. Paul was content with little. But he is also, as he says here, content when he has plenty. It's, it's an interesting addition. And if you give a man or woman a little bit more than they need, then you will often see their true character, won't you? And Paul doesn't just say he's learned to be content in poverty. No, he mentions times of abundance as well. And it can be a real challenge to be content in those circumstances, to worship God when we have more than enough. For that money, not to grab hold of our hearts with its tentacles. But what's clear here is that Paul has a kind of detachment from the money he's been given. And that's not to say that he's ungrateful for it. It's not to say that he's merely stoical about his circumstances as uh, something that was prized in his culture. You know, what will be, will be. What I have, I have. It's not that he's ascetic, shunning all the good things in life. No, he is simply showing in these verses that there is much more to his life than his bank balance, much more to his life than money. It does not dominate him. His testimony is that he can do all things through him who strengthens him. Uh, that verse is one of those verses, isn't it, that you often get isolated and put on t-shirts or mugs or kitchen calendars, all that kinds of thing. But as always, the context is king, is key. It does not mean that you and I can uh, compose a symphony backwards. It does not mean that we can sprint a marathon. No, it means that with God's help, we can follow Paul's example we can be like him in verses 11 and 12. Contentment is not something, 
as a Christian that is outside of our reach. In fact, it's what we were made for as we live in fellowship, in harmony with the God who provides. That's our first word, testimony. But word number two is history. History. In verses 14 to 17, Paul reminds the Philippians of all that they've shared together. He is grateful for all their support through many ups and downs. They were there at the very beginning with them, with him, verse 15. From the first day until now, as chapter 1 says, they were the kind of people who stuck with him when nobody else did. They were with him through thick and thin. And all of us will have people like that in our lives, fellow Christians. We've been through some challenging experience with. Maybe the event itself was quite brief. But because of that kind of shared history, well, we are bound forever to people like that. And that is one of the great gifts of the Christian life. It is a a real treasure to have relationships like that. But as we look at these verses, it's really important to realize that this was not a kind of one-sided thing. There is giving and receiving. Do you see that in verse 15 near the end? Giving and receiving. And many have noted that what Paul is doing here, he's, he's kind of challenging the, the Greco-Roman idea of friendship. Because in his culture, well, gifts were often given back and forth in such a way that one party often felt very indebted to the other. And there could be a kind of outdoing of each other. They got us two bottles of olive oil last time, two honeycombs. Uh, We better bring them three this time, that kind of thing. Now, of course, you and I never act like that, do we? Picture the scene, two friends. They've just had lunch together. um, They've had a great catch-up. And then the bill arrives. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. No, let me. No, you got the last one. I'll get it. I'll get it. Back and forth. That is so human, isn't it? But we must be people who can receive as well as give. I think the former can often be harder. The former takes humility, receiving. And it reminds us of God's grace. But we must also never allow, uh, never allow our giving to one another to, to turn into a kind of point scoring. Because gifts can be given, can't they, to just subtly control people. Gifts can be given with strings attached. And we always need to be careful as God's people in this whole area. Some of us may be in a position to give more generously than others. But in Christian friendship, what matters is not the gifts we give or the gifts that we get, but what they represent. 
and above all, what we have or who we have in common. Someone has said that Paul's relationship with with the Philippians was not a one-on-one bond. No, it was a three-way friendship. Because, of course, Jesus was the one who had brought them both together. And it was about so much more than money. Just look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, he writes, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, at first glance, I think when I first read that verse, verse 17, I thought, that sounds quite ungrateful. Thank you for the socks, Granny. I didn't really need them. But look again at what he's saying. Do you see his desire? He wants them to receive blessing as they give. And this, not even the gift itself, this is the kind of detachment he has, not even that gift is his longing. One of the commentators says that his talk of fruit here is is all bound up with, with ideas of heavenly reward and Christian maturity. And he writes this, their gift, which they gave to Paul, their gift which serves his physical health, serves as evidence of their spiritual health. So Paul is full of gratitude. Paul is a wonderful model to us tonight of what that looks like. But a third word here helps us see where that gratitude is ultimately focused. Because in verses 10 to 20, we don't just see testimony and history, this wonderful shared relationship, we also see doxology. Doxology. Now, this is a, a worship word. And maybe if, if you look at the text, you can see the, the, the temple language used by Paul in verse 18. And the gifts he received from Epaphroditus are a fragrant offering, he calls them, a sacrifice. He says they're acceptable, they're pleasing to God. In verse 19, he uses the word glory, which uh, makes us think of the temple. And then in verse 20, it's, it's suddenly as if, as Paul sometimes does, he just interrupts himself. And he just bursts out into praise to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think uh, that those words acceptable and pleasing are really lovely, aren't they? Do you see how all of this expands our view of of Christian giving? It, It is delight as well as duty. Money that is given to Christian work is, is never just money. It is never mere pounds. It is never simply about meeting particular needs. No, there's more going on under the surface. The gifts that we give are, are a pledge of our love for God. They are, they are acts of devotion and they are poured out for him. 
So Paul is full of gratitude. He, he overflows in praise and he is brimming with confidence. And he wants his friends to know that God is generous too. He says the Philippians will be blessed for all they've given. God will meet all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you and I, we're called to, to steward our resources carefully. And we need to budget. We need to plan. We cannot give what we do not have. It is not wise for us as Christians to get into lots of debt just to give to Christian work. But what so often stops us giving? If we think about that question, what stops us giving? Isn't it often fear? Isn't it often a nagging worry that verse 19 shouldn't really or isn't really in the text? A nagging worry that verse 19 might not be true. Well, friends, God is no man's debtor. God is the bountiful God. And this verse reminds us that we can trust him as we give our money, as we give maybe our time as well, our, our very selves as an offering to him. Do you see how this links back to what we looked at last week? Do not be anxious about anything, Paul said. And the word anything includes money, doesn't it? And do you hear the echoes of Jesus as well? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. So testimony, history, Doxology, three words that help us understand Paul's gratitude. Here is a man with a Christian view of money. Here is a man content in a world that is so often marked by the opposite. Thankful for all that he's been given. Happy for, for the benefits his friends will receive. And full of praise. Full of praise. To the ultimate giver. That's Paul's gratitude. Secondly, though, and more briefly, Paul's greeting. Paul's greeting, verses 21 to 23. And I sometimes um, a great um, athlete, maybe uh, a Usain Bolt or someone like that, is so far ahead of the rest of the field that as the finish line approaches, they, they just slow right down. And they decide to break the world record another day and just enjoy the victory. Maybe we've seen things like that. I want us to do something similar as we finish this letter. Just take a few moments to, to notice some of the details. Verses 21, 22, 23. These are the kind of verses that we just skim past, aren't they? But there's some real gold hidden away inside them. Notice first that Paul takes the time to greet every saint. 
And here he's not just addressing the whole group, the crowd. No, he's asking that every individual within the whole is personally greeted. And Francis Schaeffer um, said that in God's kingdom there are no little people and no little places. And I think Paul would agree with that, wouldn't he? Greet every saint. And our problem is that we often think the opposite. We often think that certain Christians are more important than others. Maybe we can sometimes think of ourselves as inferior. But Paul makes it clear that through this greeting that every member of the body of Christ has immense value to him. They are precious. And we need to treat one another that way too. Kindness and care. Giving the benefit of the doubt. Believing the best. That is what will make the unity he spoke about at the beginning of the chapter. That is what will make that unity possible. And so maybe tonight you need to hear that greeting afresh. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Second detail we see here is Paul's dependence on others. Notice the reference to the brothers in verse 21. And Paul was more like a relay runner than a sprinter. And he knew that he wasn't going to get across the finishing line as a Christian without support. All, for all his gifts, And even though he had a unique calling from God, Paul was not some kind of soloist. Romans chapter 16 is a wonderful example of this. Maybe read it later and see how he ends a letter that is packed with some of the richest theology in the New Testament. With name after name after name of people he loved, people he depended on. Or think of Jesus, 12 disciples, and three in particular, Peter, James, and John, and one especially, John, who seems to have been particularly close to him. Even he leaned on others as he ministered, and you and I should never be afraid of doing the same. I think there's a lovely balance Here in verse 21, verse 22, it's greeting every saint individually. And then it's addressing all the saints, the brothers. To put it another way, each of us matters to Jesus. But each of us also has a part to play in helping one another. And then Paul mentions Caesar's household. Caesar's household. I think those two words might just be my favorite um, in this whole chapter. And they should probably be flashing in neon lights. Because do you remember what Paul said back in chapter one? It was clear to the whole imperial guard that he was in chains for Christ. But it's even more than that. He is saying that some of Caesar's household actually believe. Now, there's been lots of discussion um, in the news recently about apparently um, 
a Chinese spy infiltrating Westminster. Uh, and MI5, uh, didn't they? They issued a, an unprecedented warning about that. Well, the gospel is a little bit like that. The gospel can get into places that we would never expect. Jesus is able to find followers in the most inhospitable territory. Even in the heart of Rome, Paul says, are people who believe that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. See, do you remember how the church in Philippi began? One of the first converts was the the jailer, wasn't he? The Roman jailer. He would have loved those two words. And some of us tonight maybe know of situations that, that seem impossible for Jesus to break into. And maybe it's people we've longed to see come to faith for decades. Maybe it's families or communities that just seem impenetrable. But this passage says to us, these two words, Caesar's household, say, don't lose heart. Because as Paul says elsewhere, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. And God's grace, God's grace can find its way and it can sneak in to the most amazing and the most unexpected places. And Paul ends with a reminder of that grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's how he began. Turn back to chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter is grace at the beginning and grace at the end. And friends, that is the Christian life, isn't it? That is our hope tonight. As we sang earlier on, it was grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace, God's amazing grace, God's undeserved grace. That is what will lead us home. Well, let's pray together. Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this evening for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he left that richness, that glory, that he had always enjoyed, that he became poor for us, he became human, and that he endured uh, the agony of the cross and that he did all of that that we might uh, be rich, spiritually rich 
and have so much as your people to look forward to. And we pray that you would uh, make us generous. We pray that you would change our hearts. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. And we thank you for this letter. And we thank you that we've had the chance to study it together. And we pray that your grace may be seen in the way that we treat one another. Give us the unity and the love that we read of here. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service uh, this evening with a psalm. It's Sam from Psalm 72. And this is a wonderful uh, depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>